Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the underloved and underrated and just sometimes plain unknown movies out there. My movie today uh, is going to be a little different. In fact, this is going to kind of be a first on Staff Picks, so I hope you admire the challenge that I am taking on on this one, because... This is really a movie that's not my choice. This is one that more my guests chose, and it's one of these movies that's really, really popular and beloved among a certain demographic and a certain age group, and it doesn't happen to be my age group. So I'm actually talking about a movie that's kind of out of my comfort zone here. In fact, I just saw it for the first time, uh, what, about three hours ago? <laughs> so the movie we are talking about is the 1989 Fred Savage classic, The Wizard, about video games and about little autistic boys and about uh, road trips. And my guest today, okay, he's a perfect pick for this podcast. And like I said, he's the one that selected this movie, and you'll understand why in a second. He is a seven-time video game champion up in the Seattle area. He is heavily involved in uh, Comic-Con up there. He a uh, big sports fan, movie guy, pop culture guy, a reader of mine going way back to my MySpace days. In fact, this is the first time I've talked to him, and we've known each other for like 15 years. And I'm very excited to bring him on the show. Welcome to the show, Jason Lundgren. Thank you, Mario. All right, so The Wizard, Jason. Why are we talking about The Wizard? Why did you choose this movie? Well, believe it or not, though, no matter how batshit insane that movie is, and believe me, there's a few scenes that are batshit insane, but which are, are entertaining. But, however, it's in, in some odd, weird way, it's kind of autobiographical for me because I happen to have mild autism, which is Asperger's. I happen to be, happen to be really good at video games. And I grew up in an era of like where Nintendo was king. And I also have a close family member that passed away like um, last November. And that's my older brother named Eric. And for people who don't know that this movie, there is a he's everything he just mentioned basically ties into this movie. It's a movie about a little autistic boy who is very, very good at video games and he suffers a huge loss. He has the loss of his sister and it kind of triggers him into this uh, journey where he's going to go travel to California and become a video game champion. And that's one of the reasons I brought Jason onto this podcast, because like this, this has to be a very uh, personal movie when you watch it. Well, yes, it is, though. Like, um, at first, when I was a kid, I used to, like, my mom used to work at a video store, like, called the Video Factory, which is a mom-and-pop store nearby where I live. And um, I used to beg her to, like, rent this movie for me. Well, not so much rent this movie as, as you know, because when you work at the movie, you work at the video store, you get free movies anyway. So I just asked her, hey, Mom, can I watch The Wizard? And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then, like, uh, she... Of course, she didn't like it because she's not a huge video game fan in the first place, let alone like a Nintendo fan. But I did enjoy it for what it was. It wasn't until like um, the episode of Nostalgia Critic from 2008 that I rediscovered The Wizard, discovered how batshit insane that movie was. And there's some certain scenes that are just, wow, <laughs> you cannot do you cannot make that kind of movie today with all, all the climate that's going on right now, especially with all the with that one character in particular that kind of reminds me of a 
another particular character from another children's movie. Which one? Which one? Uh, you know the creeper from Kitty uh, Kitty Bang Bang? I haven't seen that movie in years, but... Oh, you're talk. Are you talking about Mr. Putnam, the uh, runaway, the the like the the guy that would retrieve the slaves back in the Civil War? Did he retrieve runaways? <laughs> yes, yes. He reminds me of that. He's like the '80s, '90s version of the child creeper from like uh, that movie Chee Bang Bang. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I just want to reiterate what I said at the start of this podcast. This movie is a little young for me. It came out when I was 15 years old, and like it wouldn't have been something I would have seen in the theater. That's why I never saw it until I was 44. And I read reviews of it, and critics hated this movie. This this maybe is the least popular movie I've done on Staff Pick so far, Like to the point that Roger Ebert called this one of the worst movies he's ever seen. Like He just savaged it. It's even on like the worst of nineteen eighty nine show on Cisco Libra though. And he says he says some of the long lines of like even a dummy like him would know like this is not the level that they passed or, or whatnot. It's like for a guy that's like claiming himself to be a dummy in video games, he sure knows something. <laughs> yeah, but what I what I was getting at there is that this movie is not for me and it's not for critics, but if you were to go to people five years, ten years younger than me and people in your age, Jason like, this movie is, from what I can tell, absolutely beloved. This is, like, a seminal movie in the lives of many kids growing up in the Nintendo era, the, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So that that's why this is a little different uh, episode for me to do, because I'm not going to sit here and wax nostalgic on how amazing it made me feel and all the great things that it has done to my life, because it wasn't made for me. And that's the kind of the, the one thing that I really like talking about when it comes to movies, like... A movie doesn't have to appeal to everybody. It it has to appeal to the people it was designed for. And so that's one of these things. Like, I, I'm really going to lean on you a little more in this movie, in this episode, Jason, just because I think this movie means much more to you. And that's why I'm not going to, like, sit here and say I don't think it's very good. I'm very interested to hear why it's important to people your age. I'm kind of the same with, like, other people, too, because I got, like, a, a couple, like, a few nieces and a nephew that, like, they're going to be certain movies where doesn't appeal to me because i'm obviously way too old for that but i'm willing to listen though so if you say you're willing to listen to the things that i truly like like i said the wizard then hey i'm all for it yeah and that's what the point of the show is movies that deserve more love and just i i just want to get people on here that just will rave about a movie and why it means something to their lives so like i said i'm very excited that you're here and i think the tone of this one may be a little different Although I may, I may take digs at the wizard from time to time just because there's some little, perhaps little uh, issues with it that I have when I was watching it. But I will try not to take, make it personal. Well, don't worry about it, though, because like I said, I make fun of movies I like sometimes. And that movie is like the perfect, like, kind of like if you, I don't know, if, I don't know, did, uh, did Rip Tracks do wizard? If they did, I, would want, I want to see it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have, but I can see if they did, it would be a fantastic episode because there's a lot of goofy stuff in this episode. Okay, be before I get into your history with video games, I want to explain my history with video games and why perhaps this movie wasn't in my wheelhouse. And I will say, like, this movie's about arcades and video games and kids that love video games. And that was me as a kid. I don't know if I've talked about that on Staff Picks before, but I 
there's a couple places I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in bowling alleys. My dad was like almost a pro bowler. I grew up at uh, the Mariners games in the Kingdom in Seattle. And I grew up in video arcades because I was very much like the little kid in this movie. I wasn't like autistic like he was, but I would just go in the arcade and just be transfixed. And I was pretty good at figuring out, you know, the games, especially for my age. I was very young, 8, 9, 10 years old, like the kid in this movie. So I went through a huge video game phase where I've, I've even written about it before. I've written an essay called King of the Arcade, how in every arcade in the 80s, there was the one kid, this little kid who was good at every game, and everyone was in awe of him when he walked in there. And, like, that was me for, like, two years at a, a arcade called Showbiz Pizza Parlor in Bellevue, Washington at Crossroads Mall. That was my arcade. But... And, uh, but eventually I grew up I grew up out of video games and I was kind of done with them by 87 88 when I'm 13 14 years old so when this movie comes out and it's all based around the Nintendo Entertainment System I'm out of my video game phase by then and it's even more so to the point like when the Nintendo came out and it was a big deal I just thought that was like little like uh, a little kitty system that's like video games for little kids and so I never, I never, like, was in love with this Nintendo system like people 10 years younger than me would have been. To me, that was just like, you know, video games are over, and now they've dumbed them down for little kids, and we have this dumb console stuff. So that's why this movie wouldn't appeal to me. And now that I've rambled on for that long, I'd like to hear, what's your history with video games, Jason? Well, my history of video games started with when I was, like, five years old. I got a Christmas gift, like, uh, from my mom and dad which is like uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, which is basically not just for me, but for, like, for my older sister, Marjorie, and my, of course, my brother, Eric. We we all enjoyed playing that all the video games. My sister's favorite game was Sky Kid. She loved that game. My brother's favorite game, he's more into the RPG stuff, like uh, Final Fantasy and um, Zelda. I, I mean, I tried to get into those, though, but I'm more of a guy that's like... Um, I can do a lot of things, like a lot of scrolling, like uh, Mario. I even go over the sports games, like Tecmo Bowl and uh, Double Dribble. And, uh, yeah, we, like, uh, when my brother and I play a lot of games, like, you know how brothers are. We always, like, spat all of each other. And, like, my brother is, like, he gives me, like, the biggest rage quits ever. Well, back then, he, he just called that, you know, tarting out, but... Back, like which is nowadays called rage quits. He gave me a bunch of rage quits, though, because he really flustered me of how good he really is. Because you know how I got my skills from it's because I got it from my brother. Yeah, that, I mean that's that is traditionally what happens is the younger brother has spends so much of their life trying to compete with the older brother that they gain all these skills. So when they start competing against kids their own age, they're amazing all of a sudden because they've had this chip on their shoulder their whole life trying to top their older brother. So basically, my brother's like Peyton Manning, and I'm Eli Manning. So I'm trying to like uh, <laughs> the Mannings, you know, <laughs> longer. Okay. Yeah, but like my brother, my brother and I would just like uh, we like when we team up with each other, like uh, with co-op games like Contra, were really good. But once we're going against each other, we all know who's win, who wins that game. That's my brother because he like plays a lot of video games. He's very like uh, very cerebral, very smart. You know, sometimes he doesn't act very smart. <laughs> but you know how like uh, big brothers are. They act so cocky. I'm just very humble. I'm just kind of quiet, reserved. But like I said, if you get if you push me too far, I'd be pretty pissed off. So yeah. watch out. <laughs> That's the heart of a champion, right there. Exactly. <laughs> now, before we get into the movie here, which you, you said you're a seven-time video game champion. Just for our listeners, which video games do you currently hold world records on? 
uh, final fight, which uh, which took me a while to do. That was my my first record breaking attempt. It took me like uh, a whole year just to get that record, which was originally set by um the guy from uh, I forget I forget his name though. He's from like uh he's from somewhere well Bloomingfield, Illinois. So like that's where all the um. But that's where that Galloping Ghost Arcade was. It's like right near the Chicago area. But my first was actually Narc, and it's also from the from a guy named Doc Mack. He's also from Bloomingfield, Illinois. Like a lot of I have to, I've noticed though, I've noticed a trend though because people from Bloomingfield, Illinois has like a a lot of very like uh, great record arcade players. I mean, it goes beyond Billy Mitchell and Richie Knuckles. Now, have you ever met Billy Mitchell? Oh no, I haven't. But if I did, I'll probably have some said said words with them. <laughs> For people who don't know, Billy Mitchell is the uh, probably the most prominent video gamer in American history, and there's a whole documentary out there called "The King of Kong," which is about Billy Mitchell and this guy Steve Weeby trying to get the world record on Donkey Kong. I would love to do that on Staff Picks one day. I don't know if it's going to happen, but yeah, that's who Jason's talking about. That this is, this is the the big looming big big name in video games. That someday, if Jason were to be able to defeat Billy Mitchell in a head to head showdown, it would be like a big deal. Basically, he's like the real life grown up mulleted version of uh, Lucas Barn, which we'll be talking about when we're talking about the wizard. <laughs> Do you think he has the power glove? <laughs> well, he has the joystick and a few people that can help him with his records. <laughs> okay, one more thing I wanted to get into before we get into the movie here. Um, this movie was one of the first movies that involved autism, although they don't actually spell it out. I don't think they ever say it at any point in the movie, right? Oh, no. They just say, oh, oh he's shy. Oh, he's different. Oh, but, like, but we all know he's autistic, so. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> trying to be subtle. Well, it, it came out at a time when people were just starting to hear about autism. I know Rain Man came out in 88, and that might have been the first movie I'd ever seen where I even heard that term before. And then this movie was a year after that. So, I mean, as someone you are on the spectrum, you said you're mildly autistic, you're Asperger's. What was it like? Like, are there other autistic movies out there that kind of speak to you? Or are there things in this movie that you think ring especially true from your experience? I'm just curious from your perspective here. Well, from, like, uh, my perspective, though, there's a few movies that, like, uh, got to me, though, since I'm diagnosed with, like, autism. There's this one movie called Adam from 2009, which, like I said, we're going to talk about on Staff Picks, but it's kind of too depressing, so I don't want <laughs> other people to be like, oh, this is sad. But it has but it has Larry Appleton from Curve Strangers. <laughs> it does, yeah. Cousin Larry's in there. Wasn't <laughs> Yeah, I actually watched Adam, and I know you had mentioned it. I, I, you and another person, I have another uh, one of my readers is autistic, had also mentioned, "Hey, we should do an episode on Adam." So it's still, it's in the, it's in the hopper. It may happen someday. I don't know, but like you said, it is kind of depressing. It's not really a movie with uh, stuff like power gloves and uh, <laughs> video game arcade. It's not quite as fun as this one. Okay, let's. Uh, I am assuming most of my younger readers have seen this movie, so I'm not going to be super nitpicky, but I will explain stuff to my older readers that may not know about this one or, again, may have just thought this is a silly kids movie. I will say from my personal perspective, just watching this for the first time, if I'm a critic, I hate this movie. Like, it's a movie, I can see why critics hate it, because it's, it's silly and it's ridiculous, and, like, it doesn't... Man. 
It's like a hundred minute commercial. That's what it is. A hundred minute commercial for Nintendo. Yeah, I mean that's that's literally what the review said. I'm just watching like a goddamn video game commercial. Why would I watch this? And so I can see that argument, but again, for the market this movie was designed for, I can see this is like freaking uh, Gone with the Wind. Like this is like the greatest thing maybe a kid in '89 ever saw. Oh yeah, definitely. I can see my I can see my seven year old self be like, "Hey, mommy, can we go see the Wizard?" And mom's like, "No, <laughs> it's a commercial. Go play Nintendo." <laughs> Okay, so here we go. We're going into 1989, The Wizard, starring, let's see, who's in this? We got Fred Savage, hot off uh, The Wonder Years. Who else is in here? Uh, Christian Slater, Bo Bridges, um, the guy from, uh, played Dr. Schweiber off of Freaks and Geeks, Sam McMurray. Yeah. He plays like his, uh, he plays like the kid's, like, stepfather. How the hell did they get Christian Slater in this movie? That's the first thing that I'm wondering when I'm watching this movie. Like, he just starred in Heathers, and he's one of the hottest people in Hollywood. Why would he take this role as the second fiddle brother who does nothing? I have no idea. Plus, aren't aren't Bo Bridges and Christian Slater's character a bit too close to each other? Like, this is like beyond father and son shit. They act more like brothers, really. They basically act like King Griffey Jr. and Senior. <laughs> yes, just like that. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard Christian Slater compared to Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> well, they're both nice icons. <laughs> and uh, the other, the little kid in this movie, the wizard, the actual autistic kid, he is played by Luke Edwards, who, fittingly enough, I just did another Staff Picks episode on. Did you listen to my Little Big League episode? Oh, yes. I love that movie, too. <laughs> I totally understand. It's like, oh, it's the kid from The Wizard is the manager for, like, uh, the Minnesota Twins. And yes, I've seen it back in the day as well. And I was, I like you, was very happy that the mirrors were predominantly featured like um, in a movie, although they were in the Naked Gun because, like you said, they were like one of the cheapest teams to get licensed from for that movie. But like, uh, they made them out to be the big bad villains in Little Big League. I was like, the Mariners? Big bad villains? I could see the Yankees or something like that, but the Mariners? <laughs> Even then, I was like, what? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm just so happy that uh, I've already done Little Big League, so as we're walking through this movie, I can make Billy Haywood jokes just as if the little kid's from the the same kid in the little movie. So, yeah, so very excited. I've already established that as a running joke, so now I can continue it in this episode. Or we can make jokes about Kevin Arnold, too, and uh, Bo Bridges' brother, Jeff Bridges, like, why can't I be like my brother? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, you wanted me to tell my Fred Savage story, is that correct? Yes, from MySpace, because I remember I read this when I was in college. Like I was taking a break from one of the classes, I looked up in your, on your, on your web, on your blog. It says about the Fred Savage story, and and I think it was like he was like in Stanford, right? That was like his first year at Stanford. He was like a freshman, and then people like was mocking him with the hey, hey, don't ruin my story. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, you're telling my story for me, you asshole. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay. Uh, this, yeah, this is something we had, one of the reasons we wanted to do this episode, just because the video game and, and autism tie-in, but because I have my favorite story of all time, the Fred Savage story. So, again, Fred Savage stars in this movie. He plays Corey, which is kind of funny because his brother plays a, a character named Corey on Boy Meets World, so a little savage nepotism there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Boy Meets World, Wonder Years, except Boy Meets World will take place in modern times, but Wonder Years, late, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, and The Wizard, of course, takes place in some weird universe where kids travel the country by themselves in some 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 uh, planet I've never seen before. 
Oh yeah, I was gonna say it takes place in some weird alternate universe where the where the kids act like adults and the adults act like kids. <laughs> okay, so here we go, my Fred Savage story. So, so, so I went to Santa Clara University in Santa Clara, California. It's in the Bay Area, and it's literally like. 10 miles away from Stanford. Stanford's kind of our sister school, and these two colleges are right next to each other. And I was a student at Santa Clara when Fred Savage was a student at Stanford. So we're right around the same age, plus or minus a couple years. And so I had heard this greatest story about Fred Savage when he was at Stanford because all Santa Clara students have a bunch of friends that go to Stanford. So I would hear stories of people that, oh, I heard this happened, I heard this happened. And here's the all-time greatest Fred Savage story. So one time, apparently, my, my friend Huey told me this. He's like, I heard this is true. I know that I heard it was a guy who, who knows a guy who saw this happen in class. So apparently, he's like, Fred Savage was in class at Stanford one day, and he, uh, and he uh, was called on to give an answer. There was a, the professor asked him something, and he raised his hand, and Fred Savage answers the question, and apparently, it was like the wrong answer. He completely blew the answer in class in front of everybody. And there was just a big awkward pause in the class where everyone's just kind of sitting there. And then some joker in the back of the classroom apparently did a little Wonder Years voiceover. And he's like, I felt so stupid that day. <laughs> Daniel, you got Daniel Stern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if that story is true or not, but I heard that from Stanford students at the time. And they're like, they swear. They're like, it happened. A guy who knows a guy saw that happen. That's the Fred Savage story that he got the uh, the Wonder Years voiceover mockery from the back of the classroom. So there you go. My Fred Savage story. Oh, that that is still hilarious as it was back in 2008. <laughs> Okay, well, we've beat around the bush. We've gone 20 minutes into this podcast. We haven't even gone to this movie yet. Are you ready to delve into the story of uh, little, uh, what is his name, Jimmy and Corey? Oh, yes, the Jimmy and Corey Adventures, which is basically Rayman for kids. <laughs> it is it is Rayman for kids, but there's another movie that I was actually thinking of as we were watching this movie. There's a couple of parallels between this and other movies. Rayman, obviously, is the one where you got the one brother trying to exploit the autistic brother. Oh, yeah. But the other one is is hilarious because it's literally the movie I did right before this one for staff picks, which is Kingpin. It's the goddamn exact same plot. I know, right? That's like uh, it's like a road trip movie, and it has something to do with competitive. Even though I wouldn't say video games are sports yet, but it's kind of close to it now. Well, okay, I'll just give people a quick overview. It's about this uh, quick-talking kind of huckster brother, Fred Savage, a.k.a. Roy Munson, who takes this uh, sheltered, naive, uh, clueless kid under his wing who happens to have a talent, a.k.a. Ishmael from Kingpin, and they travel the country to go to this tournament in Reno, Nevada, which is exactly where they're going in Kingpin. And along the way, yeah, and along the way, they pick up this uh, slick-talking, street-smart girl who has stake money and is the brains behind the operation, a.k.a. Uh, Miss Claudia in Kingpin. So it's literally the exact same movie. Only if Claudia were 12 years old and has red hair. <laughs> exactly. And if the Amish people had the power glove, it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, they were not even allowed to use technology. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, so that's the plot of the movie. I'll just I'll do a quick overview so we can get into it here. The uh, it's a movie about a little autistic boy named Jimmy, and the movie opens with him just walking down the highway. I guess as nine-year-olds would do back in the late '80s, they would often walk cross-country through Utah, and the cops have to come picking up, pick him up, and we find out he's a habitual runaway. He habitually will leave the house and start walking west because he wants to go to California. 
Oh yeah, like uh, it's not just that; it's, it's California. <laughs> yes. It's like his Wapner, basically. Like Wapner, definitely Wapner. It's California. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you started in on the Rain Man joke, so now I'm allowed to do them too. So thank you for uh, setting the precedent there. <laughs> yeah. So. So he habitually gets starts wanting to go to California, and we don't really know why he keeps wanting to do this. We just know he's an odd kid, and it happens a lot. And we find out that his parents are really having difficulties raising this little kid. Like, he's he kind of lives in his own world. And again, they don't say it in the movie, but he's clearly autistic. He's kind of hard to handle. He sees things. He just wants to build things, much as I imagine you do, right? You Are you, are you a builder, Jason? Um, not really. I just like to break stuff. <laughs> you know, it's all part of the same construction process. You're the demolition guy. Oh, yeah. I'm the opposite. I just like break stuff with my G.I. Joes and Transformers. <laughs> Wait, still? You still play with those? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> okay. I'm, at, I'm at back when I was, like, Jimmy's age. <laughs> okay, I didn't want to start rumors here. <laughs> oh, no, no problem. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... So he uh, he's causing problems for his family. They can't raise this little autistic kid. And the family's split. They're divorced. He got a split family. And they keep hinting that there was some tragedy that happened in the past. We'll find out later what this is. But what happens is they end up putting little Jimmy in a home. They, they can't raise him anymore. He's causing problems. So they're going to institutionalize him. And they basically give him the Michael Myers treatment where they throw him into a room that's just plain white with a TV. And that's going to be his future for a while. And this, of course, pisses off his brother. Oh, Corey, like, it's basically, it's like the Tom Cruise subplot in except Fred Savage actually cares about his brother, while Tom Cruise didn't even know he had a brother. Yeah, we have Corey, Fred, little Fred Savage here, is ticked off that his brother is being thrown into the institution, and he basically goes and breaks him out. He's like, well, I'm going to free my brother, and my brother wants to go to California, so I'll just bust him out of the institution, and we'll walk to California together. And this is really the first what the fuck moment in this movie. <laughs> like, what? It's like the only institution I know that has no security. Even even the black guy from Raymond almost did something. The, these people over that institution was or did nothing. There's no security. No, where are you going, kid, or something like that? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So little Fred Savage, the master sneak thief, busts into his institution and breaks his brother out, and they start walking to California. And again, this is when, when Roger Ebert starts writing in his review, like, this movie does not exist in the realm of reality. That's People don't do that. that that's the first, like, I can see why a grown-up would have an issue with this movie, that the thought, thought process is, well, well we're, I'm 13, we can walk to California together. <laughs> yeah, right, like, uh, it kind of makes you wonder, though, no adults, like, not even, they didn't even, even have a wink of an eye either. It's like, whatever, it's, it's like, it's just like a normal day to them. While in real life, you'd be like, where are you going? Where are you? Or something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, the 80s were a very free time when children were allowed to roam free range, basically. <laughs> Plus, PG movies were PG movies and not just watered down P PC garbage. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I could take offense to that one by saying this movie's about as watered down as you're going to get. <laughs> really? Really? Okay, okay, here's my argument. I, I promised I wouldn't do this too much, but, like, 80s movies tend to be very realistic. They were either, like, raunchy sex comedies or they'd be slice of reality, like John Hughes stuff, or they'd go super comic, like Loverboy, one of the episodes I just did. This movie, this movie, it's kind of in a transition period here where we start doing these Disney 
like the Disney Channel TV shows and Disney sitcoms and stuff where it doesn't really exist in reality. It's kind of this weird cartoon little kid-centric world. And I would say this movie very much fits into that, that I even have a hard time viewing it as an 80s movie. It's kind of a 90s movie, a little ahead of its time maybe. Um, I can probably see that though, but you got some of it that's still kind of 80s though too. Like It's kind of like 80s going into 90s. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And anybody who grew up and lived through that transition knows the 80s to 90s transition was especially awkward. Yeah, because you still got people wearing neon and stuff, and at the same time, you're transitioning from neon to, like, flannel. But since we both grew up in the state of Washington, we see a lot of people want flannel anyway, but they wear flannel with neon shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, the the fashion was weird in that right that around that era. The music was weird. Just everything was weird. So, again, this is right there in that transition period between 80s and 90s, which uh, they, it probably does explain some of the weirdness in the movie. It was just it was just an odd time in pop culture, I would say. Oh, uh, yes, it was. From New Kids on the Block, Bobby Brown, to that singer from the band uh, Real Life of Send Me an Angel, which is the first time I heard that song was from that movie. Oh, wow. Was it rad? And Wolf Two was this movie I first heard. Send me an angel. I love that song. Okay, so these these two brothers have uh, escaped and have been absconded with. They've left. They're going to California. And this is where we meet this this weird side character in this movie, where there's like a uh, what is he known as a a professional uh, runaway retriever named Mr. Putnam, who, like, does this for a living. I find runaway kids, and I'm, like, a bounty hunter. So, apparently, it's kind of like Star Wars now. We were calling in Boba Fett to hunt these kids down. Or it could be like, uh, what was it, Midnight Run with, like, uh, Robert De Niro when he did the same thing to, like, uh, Charles Grodin in that movie. <laughs> so, okay, so we've had Christian Slater being compared to Ken Griffey Jr., and now we're having Bo Bridges compared to Robert De Niro? Oh, no, no, Mr. Pumman isn't, like, uh, played by Bob Bridges. It's played by some actor. I'm sorry. Know. I screwed up my analogy. All right. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up the Ken Griffey Jr. one again because I like that one. They're both nice icons, so that's a good comparison. <laughs> yes. So there's this weird scene where these kids are just walking to California, Fred Savage and his little autistic brother, little Billy Haywood, and uh, – and uh, Mr. Putnam basically has been hired to track them down, and he's like all ominous, and he's like, like uh, making jokes to the stepfather, like, "Let's not get in my way. I need to get paid. I need to hunt down my prey." <laughs> oh my God, that to me, he's like the child catcher from that movie, Chase Bang Bang. He's not as totally creepy, but he's in that creepy territory. It's like you'd be the type of guy that you want to like uh, kick him in the balls if he tries touching you. And run. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, so Fred Savage and Luke Edwards, their master plan to get to California is they get into the back of a hostess truck. <laughs> yes, that's where you see a lot of prod placement. Well, aside from Nintendo and Universal Studios, which we'll get to later, it's like one of the bigger like pop uh, product placements of the movie. Like Hostess, they eat a lot of Hostess. And I think before that scene, like a Chris was asking Fred Savage if he wanted to like, get a couple of frosty ones with the Dairy Queen. <laughs> I wonder which one we're talking about, the Dilly Bars or the Blizzard? Well, yeah, it's uh, and I was amused in this movie that apparently the hostess truck goes from like Utah all the way to like Nevada. Like, do they really have interstate hostess delivery back then? Was, was it that big an industry? I have no idea. I don't work in that kind of <laughs> industry like that. If I did, I still wouldn't know because... Like I said, the movie takes place in a weird alternate dimension of 1989. 
Okay, so so our, our two heroes are in a hostess track, and they're heading west, and this is where the plot is kind of developing, going to develop a little bit, where they end up at a bus stop somewhere in Nevada or Utah, or I'm not entirely sure where it is, and it's like a, they're looking for a bus ticket to go to California, and Fred Savage gives his brother like a couple quarters, like, here, go play this video game, and like, the kid all of a sudden is amazing at video games, which I don't know if they just never noticed that before, but all of a sudden, he's fantastic, and he's picking stuff up left and right. And you got fifty thousand on Double Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me let me talk about that for a second. How do you get fifty thousand in the first level? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're the Double Dragon expert. This game is not really in my expertise, but I just like they said. There's so many things in this movie that are just goofy and just hit my ear wrong. Like, really? That's not the way people talk. But like, like the yeah, the little kid gets fifty thousand points on Double Dragon, and Fred Savage is like, oh my god, and he's like amazed, like he just ran the three minute mile or something, and I'm like. Since when did little kids care about points on video games? It usually is like what level you get to. Like, since when did points become a big deal for kids? Probably never. The only time points really counts when you're playing like an arcade game, like you know, with Pac-Man or Donkey Kong, or whatever. But like um, when it comes to Nintendo, you just play to complete the game. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you agree with that because I I remember specifically again I have a a rich history of a, as a video game nerd as well. I remember like Donkey Kong, the original Donkey Kong. Like, nobody fucking cared how, what your points were. They would care what, where'd you, what level did you get to. And I remember, like, in, when I was nine, if you got to the pie factory, that was like, you're a god. You got to the pie factory level. Nobody knows what your points are. <laughs> Unless you're, like, one of those, like, uh, I don't know, like, us math nerds or something. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, so they're in their, their bus station, and they're buying, and Fred Savage is trying to buy a bus ticket, and he... Uh, there's a, a someone over uh, sitting in the seat over near him, and she overhears. It's this teenage girl wearing these sunglasses, and she kind of looks up, and she sees these two kids traveling alone and buying a bus ticket, and she thinks, well, that's weird. Well, again, I'm thinking, well, why is she traveling alone? Why is a 13-year-old in a bus station all by herself in rural Nevada? But she sees them, and she notices these two kids are traveling alone, and it hits her radar that something's off with these two. Yeah, I think the reason why those because I think she's running away herself. And what's kind of weird about her character is she's supposed to be a tomboy, yet she's reading Cosmopolitan. She should be reading, like, uh, video game magazines or something like that. <laughs> well, it, it is funny. I was reading some of the reviews of this movie, and that is something they, they pointed out. Like, the screenplay has no idea what to do with this Haley girl, this Haley character. They're like, is she a tomboy? Is she not a tomboy? Like, some of the words that come out of her mouth, she has these long flowing dialogue as if she's like a character from the 1920s and even the actress they say you can see in her eyes she doesn't really believe in these lines but she has to say them anyway so like she's a very again it's just it's like watching a movie made by somebody from mars that's how i i kind of approach this movie having not seen it until today who think like people from mars who think that's how humans talk (laughs) yes it's like the room i mean not saying this is as bad as the room it's a competently made movie but it's like when you see tommy weasel writing dialogue how he thinks humans talk that's how i i watch this movie and it's like whoever wrote this movie doesn't know a lot about video game culture or the way kids interact or talk it's just it's just it's it's amusing to me and and there's this one scene particular with like these three businessmen right they were like uh, playing this. They were watching this kid playing video games. I think they were playing first before that kid did. And they're like, "I like to see you play that level or blah 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 blah." I'm like, "Dude, you're 40. <laughs> you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be like being that invested in video games. You should be like more like, well, I'm gonna play for a little bit and then just leave." <laughs> but these guys in particular are like, oh, "A kid being my being like uh, the level of this." <laughs> 
Yeah, right. I was, I was, I was just gonna point out that exact same scene. Yeah, for people who don't know, there's a scene later in the movie where there's these, they're like in a mini mart. These two kids are traveling the country and they go into a mini mart and there's like these businessmen in full on suits playing video games. They're like middle aged businessmen, and like, and they're like, like giggling and laughing and like totally into this video game. And I don't remember the arcade being packed with a whole lot of middle aged businessmen back in the '80s, but okay. And then the kids come up and challenge them to a game and they hustle them and it's like they're betting for money. And I'm like, what universe is this in where businessmen on their lunch break are betting kids over video games? Like, I don't remember that ever happening. But oh, in this movie, that happens apparently all the time. Yeah, I was going to say, Roy, these guys would probably be arrested for embezzling kids or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... So Haley, the tomboy, sees these two kids running away, and she's like, why are you guys, what are you guys running away from? Where are you going? And, and Fred Savage admits, well, we're going to California. He can't really tell her why. He just says we're trying to get out of here. And, and then he drops the, uh, the uh, information. You know, my brother over there just got 50,000 points on Double Dragon. And she's like, you got 50,000 on Double Dragon? Like, apparently this is like currency. In 1989, this basically, you became a god at this point for that score. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Now, what's your top score on Double Dragon? Well, my top score was like a little more than 50,000, but it wasn't on just the first level, obviously, because they, you know, like continuities of... Yeah, I was going to say, if you follow continuity in this movie, you're gonna, your brains are going to explode. But I'm just saying, I did get past... I did get to 50,000 on Double Dragon, but I had to do like four levels to do it. Okay. Just making sure that you you would be the superior video game player to Jimmy. Oh, Yeah. Okay, so you'd basically kick that kid's ass. <laughs> and then we'll have to lose this. <laughs> yeah, so I don't even know why we're talking about this movie. Let's just talk about your life. It's much more interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, my life is pretty awesome. As a matter of fact, though, like, um, about this little trivia right there, Lo, I think I gave you this, like, on Facebook, that, like, uh, there's this, like, uh, YouTube video from Entertainment Tonight where Fred Savage's favorite actor was Jack Nicholson. And if you see like him in the Wonder Years and other things, he does his eyebrows. He's basically copying Jack Nicholson. And you have Christian Slater, on the other hand, he's like a living, breathing, younger version of Jack Nicholson with the accent, with the the attitude and everything. You'd think he was cloned from the original Jack Nicholson. Wow, I had no idea that little Kevin Arnold was doing Jack Nicholson all those years. Oh, yeah, with the, with the eyebrows. Basically, The Rock copied Fred Savage and Jack Nicholson. Well, there is the scene, I don't know if people remember this in uh, season four of the Wonder Years, where Kevin comes after Winnie Cooper with an axe and tries to murder her in the bathroom. <laughs> and he says, here's Kevin. <laughs> it's one of those scenes that people tend not to remember. It's one of the, uh, I think it's in the director's cut of season four of Wonder Years. Isn't that like um, when he was like basically stalking Winnie in a room saying, I love you. Is that that, was that the episode? Yeah, I felt so stupid that day. <laughs> so, so uh, basically, what happens is uh, Haley, the little girl they meet in the uh, the bus stop, has all this money, and they have no money, and so they basically bet her that little Jimmy can beat her in a video game. And apparently, this is a widely known thing, a phenomenon in 1989 in Utah, where kids were routinely betting each other over video game results. <laughs> but so anyway, they con they, they con uh, Haley out of her money, and she gets pissed and. And they have a big scuffle, and in the scuffle, she misses the bus she was trying to take. And this is how we end up with this unlikely trio of uh, of a uh, travelers at this point. Yeah, basically, that's where the kingpin part comes in. This is where you have these unlikely trio of travelers, only 
and two of them were actually related, or not in real life in the movie. Here we go into uh, Plot Contrivance Playhouse here. This is fun. And this is where the, the movie just takes this weird leap, and this is where it kind of gets kind of fun. And I can see why kids would really appreciate it at this point, where the girl, Haley, says, uh, well, you know, your brother, he's a wizard. He can beat any video game ever. He's amazing, which is, is that, I'm just curious, is that common? Are a lot of the uh, top video game players in the world on the autism spectrum? I'm curious if that's a known phenomenon. Actually, I met this one guy like um, over in Tacoma. His name is Robert Rastic. He's the guy that has like only six more world records than I do. Mm-hmm. He's also autistic, and he also, he also speaks at those uh, autistic like uh, conferences and stuff, like how he succeeded and how he you know uh, cope with it and stuff. So Robert Rastic, though, like if you look him up on Facebook, uh, you'll see like all the records he broke for like uh, for all the or for all the arcade games he did. And what about uh, Steve Wiebe? I know Steve Wiebe. When my wife, my wife, when she was in college, worked with autistic kids, she would kind of uh, she was a one-on-one uh, in, uh, independent counselor. She worked with kids in their homes. So we were watching uh, King of Kong, the video. I, that's the video game one I talked about for people who don't know. But uh, the the one of the heroes in that movie, my wife was watching that King of Kong, and she's like, "This guy is absolutely on the spectrum. I can I can peg it right from here." So I'm curious if he is as well, maybe. I'm I'm guessing he is though. Plus, like, um, if he is on the spectrum, he sure knows how to hide it well up to that point. Yeah. Plus, my uh, cousin Robbie, he went to school. Like, uh, he went to school as a student for his, one of his classes. Okay, so yeah, so anyway, the the girl Haley says, uh, you know, this kid's amazing. He could beat anybody in any video game, and she's like, <laughs> if he can beat me, a known video game champion herself, apparently, she says. Why couldn't he beat anybody in any game ever? And she kind of extrapolates to say, well, you know, I know about this video game tournament out in California, and he'd be a natural. So let's let's bring this kid out to California, and he'd be a natural. He's going to win this tournament, and we can make all this money, and we can be runaways together and live this happy little runaway life. So that is where the plot of the movie comes in now. All of a sudden, the little shy autistic kid who just wants to walk to California is being hijacked, and they're going to turn him into a video game champion. That's what the... Rayman slash Kingpin part comes in. That's where they just like exploit the exploit the naive autistic boy for his talents and like all he wanted to do is just walk to California for some odd reason because we don't know we're not gonna know that till a little bit later. But still, he just likes to walk to California, build things. The next thing you know, he's the has the wizard uh, has that talent to make uh, high scores in video games. Well, to be fair, the uh, tournament, this tournament is called Video Armageddon in Los Angeles, and the prize is $50,000, and to be fair, that's a shit ton of money, so perhaps you can throw out ethics out the window if they're all going to split $50,000. Yeah, I was going to say $50,000. I think for for a tournament that's like basically for kids, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. That's more like... That's more like if you want to go for the $50,000 pyramid with Dick Clark or something as a grown man, <laughs> rather than having three children vying for that cash money. And I, I have to jump ahead a little bit in this movie, and I know this might be blasphemy, what, but when we get to that tournament at the end of the movie, it's the stupidest tournament I've ever seen. It's literally two rounds, and the three people make to the final round. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. It's like, shouldn't they have more rounds, and shouldn't they have more contestants? That would make a little bit more sense. But, yeah, it's just like I said, if, if you're asking for a rally of the show, forget. <laughs> it's totally... Mar- like on Mars, how they view Earth or something. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, we're kind of going into mystery science theater territory here, and I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. There's a lot of movies I like just because they're goofy, but yeah, this one, it just, it's one scene after another where just something kind of inexplicable happens, and that's not really the way things work in real life. And I'm like, I'll just go with it, and it's a fun story. But I can see why the critics would say, no, 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 that's not how this works. Yeah, exactly. And you know that, you know that guy, the actor who played the, the, you know, the host of that video game tournament. That guy is so hyper off the wall. That guy was like over the top times ten. He's like, get your titans, get your titans. He sounds like he's one. Of, he sounds like a sounds like a villain in an '80s cartoon. Okay, so so the kids are going to now travel across the country to get to Los Angeles. So they can be in the tournament, and we have all these subplots going on where Mr. Putnam is chasing them down, and and Corey's dad is kind of chasing them down, and we have this running rivalry between Putnam and and Bo Bridges, where they're like getting in fights with shovels and stuff. And again, it's just kind of silly stuff. It doesn't really add much to the story, but it's just they try to introduce more characters just than these three kids. Oh yeah, that's like a side plot. They're trying to find like the kids, and then like who gets to find the kids first, and then I think Bober just said the line very best, like "You make money off of kids, you ought to be shot." I was like, "Yeah, Bo, <laughs> get them." <laughs> yeah, so so the kids start traveling west, and they. Uh... I think what happens is they get robbed. The girl, Haley, says, oh, I'm street smart. My dad's a trucker. I know all about the truckers, and they have a code, and they're very chivalrous towards people. And then, like, two minutes later, they get robbed, so they run out of money. And so and so this is where they start hustling people. Again, right along the lines of Kingpin, where, where Haley's like, well, we'll just take Jimmy into an arcade along the way, and we'll make some bets, and he'll beat people, and we'll make stake money on the way, which... Does not ring true to how the way the life life really works, but in the movie we just go with it, I guess. Like I said, it's like the old saying goes: it's only a movie. Yeah, and this is where this is the scene we talked about earlier. One of my my two favorite scenes in the movie. I really enjoyed this one, just on a maybe an unintentional comedy level, where they go into the arcade and you see these middle aged businessmen and. Fred Savage, I think, goes up there and they place a bet where, like, these 50-year-old guys are going to play this little 9-year-old autistic kid for money, which I, I can't picture that scenario happening in real life, but it does. And Jimmy, of course, wins, so they double their money and they start hustling people. And it's just a fun little scam system of hustling people in tiny middle, middle-of-nowhere arcades and mini-marts, apparently. That kind of makes me a question. What are these, like, businessmen doing, like, stopping by a mini-mart? Shouldn't it be they... Can they stop at like one of those like fancy restaurants or something like that instead of just going to Minimart? That's just something I would do because I work at Safeway. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and if you think about it, these uh these mini marts are like on these long, dusty highways in the middle of nowhere. They're like no like last chance gas stations. Like what the fuck businessmen are going there? What business is there that they're working at anyway to start with? Like, what world is this movie taking place in? <laughs> I don't know. Like if they're salesmen, how come they're wearing like a thousand dollar suits? And if they're like businessmen, how, what are they doing somewhere in the middle of nowhere? Did their car broke down or something? <laughs> I could just picture one of those guys goes home and the wife's like, oh, how much money did you make today? And he's like, well, I made some, but then I lost it in a bet to a nine-year-old autistic kid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that guy's not getting any sex tonight, basically, is what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, he's sleeping on the couch. <laughs> he's been cuckolded by a nine-year-old autistic boy. I know, right? Like, God damn you. Okay, so, so these kids are are hustling people and traveling west and uh and uh what happens here? <laughs> this is I just I love the scene where 
Haley, the girl, has a video game magazine all of a sudden, and she's like, uh, this is a power magazine. We'll give this to Jimmy, and it'll teach him how to win every video game ever. It'll make him unbeatable. So apparently in two days, he's going to learn every video game by reading a magazine, not by actually playing them, but he's going to know every single game ever made through a reading a magazine within two days. So I, I appreciate it again, whoever wrote that storyline. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think there's a reason for that, though. They show this, like, montage, but you can tell it's an 80s movie. There's, like, a montage of him playing video games, which is why it sort of, in a, in a weird way, makes sense. Yeah. And I got to say, like you said, there's a montage here. There's just lots of travel stuff of them just hitchhiking and traveling. And I and I just wrote in my notes, I'm just laughing as I wrote this down, like, what a pretty area of the country to film a movie in. Like, every single scene is, like, shit brown. They're in the desert. There's, like, no towns. <laughs> Why do we need a travel montage when it's literally the ugliest part of the country? Just mini marts and an occasional motel. Okay, and here is where we meet the big villain of the movie, and this is where the movie kind of takes off into unintentional comedy for me. And again, I, I love movies like that, so I have no problem with this, where they're in a small town somewhere in, I don't know, Nevada or whatever, and, and <laughs> they're hustling somebody in a coffee shop, and all of a sudden there's someone in the coffee shop that mentions, well, you know, this kid's good, Jimmy, but there's a better kid across town named Lucas. Lucas is the best video game player around. So apparently word around the, of the street, around the video arcade has traveled that this Lucas kid is the one who's even better than Jimmy. Oh, yeah, the kid with the blonde mullet, and, like, he's wearing almost all black except for the jeans, and, like, uh, he uses the, what you like to call, this is the kind of thing, like, in movies. Like, in this movie, the glove is the most ultimate, you know, uh, video game weapon you can use for a Nintendo. In real life, the, uh, or what I've heard, the power glove doesn't work like that in the movie. As a matter of fact, it's sort of one of the bigger disappointments. Yeah, it's, uh, okay, you're jumping a little ahead here, I'll get to that, but, um, yeah, we meet Lucas, Lucas is this kid, he's basically like 10-year-old William Zabka, the cocky blonde villain of the 80s movies, where he's, they go to his house, and, and, and apparently there's no adults in this movie at all, at any point, it's just kids meeting kids, and so they go to Jimmy's, like, or they go to Lucas's, like, like, a mansion or whatever, and, and they see his video game collection, and he pulls open this, uh, he's got like a little holder of Nintendo games, and he's like, I have all 97 video games, which, is that, was that a big thing? Was that an exciting thing? Was 97, does that number ring true to you? I'm curious. Actually, yes, it is, because like 97 was, at the time, that's how much Nintendo games got made in the U.S., because like the Famicom, which came a couple of years before Nintendo did, had a little more games. But for if, as far as NES games back in 89 is concerned, yes. There's just a little less than 100 NES games at the time. Okay, and apparently Lucas has every single one of them, and this is like a big deal. I know even Haley, she's like, you have all 97 games? That's that's even better than 50,000 points on Double Dragon. Oh, my God. And then, then Lucas pulls out his trump card when he says, I also have the Power Glove. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, for, for people who don't know, this, uh, I, I was not aware of this, but apparently there's a scene here where this kid introduces this video game accessory called the Power Glove. It's literally a glove you put on your hand, and you can move it around like a, a Wii controller 20 years in the future, where you can move it around and you can spatially change your character. And this is like the biggest deal that he's got one of these. And 
there's a scene here in this movie. I, I I know Jason probably has something to say about it too, where the kid, you know, plays the game with his power glove, and then he holds it up and he looks at at uh, Haley and uh, Corey, and he has this line where he delivers. This is one of the worst reads of a line I've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> he just looks at them and he's like, "I love the power glove. It's so bad." He sounded like he's trying to do Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator. But he just looks even worse doing that. <laughs> And I didn't know that was a meme. That was apparently, I was just Googling it this afternoon, and I was reading reviews of The Wizard. They said it was a huge you know, disaster at the time. It didn't really make much money. The critics hated it, but it's become this huge cult classic. But they said there's one scene in this movie with the power glove where the kid says, I love the power glove. It's so bad. And it apparently became a meme on the Internet. And, like, it's one of the most popular memes in internet history with people posting that picture for someone just bragging about something that's not actually all that interesting. So I didn't know that was a big deal, but apparently it was. And you kind of have to see the scene to believe it, that he's bragging about this glove. It's just gonna, It never shows up again in the movie, but it's a big deal, I guess. Well, I was, I was going to say a big deal at the time because, like I said, I was seven years old. And I remember, I remember begging my mom to get the power glove because, I, like I said, I didn't know at the time that it was become this big flop i thought it's gonna be like if you get this you'd be the ultimate gamer but yeah by what i've heard about the glove though like it's considered one of the bigger flops they have along with like uh what was that robot called for the nintendo it's like one of the bigger flops that nintendo had the rope that robot that came with the nintendo and the power glove Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I was going to ask. The Power Glove was a real thing. Again, this is, I'm way past my video game stage at this point, so I'd never heard of this until today. So the Power Glove was something that Nintendo came up with and designed, and it just never really took off? Well, it didn't. As a matter of fact, though, a lot of people made fun of the glove. Like, even the, like, uh, have you seen that show, Angry Video Game Nerd? I have never seen it, no. Okay, I was going to say, it's it's on the internet, you want to check it on YouTube. Like, even he gave it the finger. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so bad. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so so Lucas plays with his power glove, and he actually beats Jimmy. It's the first time Jimmy has ever lost. Like, it's like Rocky IV here, the big Russian. He's cut. He's cut. Jimmy is lost. And then Lucas, of course, drops the dread phrase, you know, that tournament you're going to in Los Angeles, I'm going to be there too. Which, again, there's no parents in this movie. I don't know who's driving these kids around. I don't know how he how he's going to be there, but apparently he's widely known as this big video game champion. He's going to be there, too, and he will be the ultimate villain that Jimmy must defeat in the end. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, like I said, it's, it's weird. It, that's like what you said. It's going through that tra traditional phase, like from the age to the 90s. But, like, if you compare all these, like, PG-rated movies of today, this is still kind of, like, uh, balls out off the wall. Okay, so... So we have uh, Jimmy suffering his first loss here, and we're about to have another loss here where, you know, they've been hustling people left and right. And this is a, there's a scene here where the bullies or some of these bullies that they've hustled in an arcade earlier decide to get revenge. And they come and they take the money back and they accost little Freddy Savage and Haley and Jimmy. And Jimmy, this whole movie, has been carrying this little uh, like a lunchbox. It's something he just walks around with. And... Uh, Inside, they like tear it open and all of the contents come out. And it turns out that it's his sister's uh, possessions. Jimmy's been carrying this around. And this is whack where we get the one of the subplots of this movie that's actually, you know, kind of sad and poignant that we find out why Jimmy is the way he is and why he's been going to California is that 
two years ago he had a twin sister and she died. It was a, a drowning accident, very horrific, and it just really sent him into a tailspin that he's really still recovering from that. He walks around with her personal items, and that's, this is explains why it is why he is the way he is. Although, again, in real life, obviously trauma doesn't lead to autism, so it's kind of a clumsy jump here, I would say. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the, the story, the kind of storylines they're going with, like, it's very much of a clusterfuck. I just, like I said, it's like one of those movies you just have to enjoy it for what it is, not for what you want it to be. Because if you want to do it what you want it to be, your brain is going to be <laughs> scrambled over this. Like, ah! Yeah, again, I I enjoy this movie. It's fun to watch, but it's, it's it it takes a certain level of just uh, not paying and not really uh, overthinking what's going on to really appreciate it. So they they decide at this point they've been accosted by bullies. Jimmy's lost. They're going to turn around and go home. And this is where we hear Jimmy talk from the first time. And again, as we said in Little Big League, a Bill Haywood must be allowed to speak his mind. And this is where little uh, <laughs> little Jimmy says, "I don't want to go. Qu- I don't want to quit. I want to keep going." And so, yay! Jimmy has talked. And here we go into Act Three. Yeah, I was gonna, I was about to mention that though. It's kind of like a Rocky Three moment. Have you seen that? There's a scene where like Rocky and Paul were at a beach, and then. Paul thought Rocky gave up, and then like uh, Tyler Shire or uh, Adrian was like motivating him to like get back to you know being what he was before he went all. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, because Jimmy had his Rocky three moment where he just like at first like, eh. and then all of a sudden he got pepped up. It was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that this scene should have ended with like a beach run and then a homoerotic hug between Corey and little Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah, and on top of that, would be incest. Now you're playing with incest game, and that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a PG movie anymore at that point. Oh, no. Okay, so the kids get to Reno. They keep hitchhiking, and they eventually get to Reno, and this is another little plot twist that I'm like, this wouldn't happen in real life. I, I have no idea how this gets through in a Hollywood movie, but, but uh, Haley says... Okay, we we have one day until the tournament, and we need to get Jimmy as good as at every game in the world possible, so we'll send him into an arcade. So, like, within one day, he's going to practice every single game ever made, which I, I'm guessing that's probably not possible. You're the video game champion. Can you win every game in one day? Like I said, like, like I said, this movie takes place in a different universe than our universe, but like I said, if anybody tries to do that in our universe, I think even with, even with a kid like Jimmy, he'll probably, like, have so many like seizures and stuff just like that have you heard about the whole uh what was the game that causes people with a lot of seizures uh poly polybolus yeah polybius was one but i've also heard berserk was another game that gave kids heart attacks yeah i was gonna say if you play games like that though jimmy's gonna like uh go go like one way trip to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't know if this movie is that popular or as popular as it was if 90 minutes into the movie, Jimmy has a massive seizure and he dies. I don't know if that's quite as popular a movie. No, that'd be kind of tragic. <laughs> Maybe that was one of the alternate endings. Yeah, like uh, like at the end, Jimmy woke up from a hospital and was like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> he dreamed the entire plot of the TV show St. Elsewhere. Exactly. <laughs> that's another thing. It has an autistic kid dreaming up like the whole hospital thing with his snow globe. Yeah. Okay, so here's the scene. I just This one really made me laugh just unintentionally when I'm watching it. They go to Reno, and apparently Haley, the girl, has a one of a friend of her dad who's like lives here. 
And somehow they know exactly which casino he's in at the time. So they go right to the casino and he's like throwing craps. He's shooting craps. And like Haley starts shouting advice to him what to bet and which which dice to roll. And I'm like, I've been to Vegas and Reno many times when I was a kid. And you're not getting within 50 feet of that craps table. I don't know how she's allowed to like basically gamble for him. But somehow they allow it in the movie. So there's just... It's just, it's a weird scene. Like, no, no, that is not how that works. Yeah, and plus, like, uh, the guy would have been kicked out. Like I said, they would keep the guy in, but they would kick out the, the kids. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. My brother and I went to Vegas many times when we were kids. My parents loved to go there and gamble. And what they do is they'd lock us. They'd basically say, here's 20 bucks, go down to the arcade and play our video games for the next eight hours so we can gamble. And my brother and I had a game. We used to like to creep upstairs towards the casino and it's one of these things if you're a kid. Have you ever been in a casino in uh, Nevada, Jason? Um, no, I haven't, though, but I always wanted to go there. Like, Las Vegas is one of those places I've really wanted to go, like, ever since I turned 18. Now, I, I'm going to make the obvious joke. Is it because you can count cards? Uh, no, I don't count cards. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to go there. Sorry, I had to go for the Rain Man joke. <laughs> but... nah, that's okay. That's cool. Yeah, it was a fun thing as you're, if you're a kid to walk through the casinos in Vegas is that you're allowed to walk through them, but only if you don't stop. If you keep moving, if you're like a shark, you keep moving, you won't drown. And so my brother and I used to play this game where we'd walk through the casino and we'd just slow down every so often just to make the security people nervous. And whenever they'd start moving towards us, we'd speed up again. So we just basically try to F with all the security people. So, again, there's no way she's allowed to walk up to the craps table and start calling out advice. I'm, I'm calling the, the hardest BS ever on this scene right here. I know, right? <laughs> like I said, this movie does not take place in the real world. It takes place in the, through the eyes of, like, uh, someone from Mars thinking that's what the Earth is like. It's like Tommy Wiseau here. Oh, hi, Corey. Oh, hi, Haley. I did not hit him. It's not true. It's bullshit. And then I hit him. I did not. Oh, hi, Corey. And I love video games so much. <laughs> anyway, Jimmy, how is your sex life? <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> So we're in the we're in the weird room universe here where nobody does actual human things. And this is where Haley decides, you know, not only is Jimmy our little video game prodigy down there practicing every game ever made, apparently. But now she like calls the Nintendo gaming hotline that there's like a number, a 1-800 number you can call to like and they'll explain to you how to beat every game, which I'm guessing that's BS. Jason, you were the guy here. Do they have video game hotlines that will explain how to beat every game ever made? Well, yes, they do, and plus, but there's only one question I'd like to know is, who paid the bill for that? <laughs> yes. That's a good point, because they weren't, they weren't making a lot of money yet, so... Oh, wait, no, they did. They won the craps. Their friend Spanky won the craps in the Reno, and so they just won 450 bucks. So maybe that was enough to pay for the phone bill there. I think so. Okay, maybe that kind of explains it. You know, the guy from Last Action Hero in 48 Hours helped him out. Okay, and here's where I show my age and my ignorance in this movie is that we have a big montage here of Jimmy just just hanging out in the arcade. And again, in the 80s, they had these. They had uh, they don't they don't now, but in the casinos in Vegas, you'd go downstairs, and there was always this massive monster arcade for little kids to hang out in. So this was very true. And we see this montage of Jimmy just playing video game after video game, just practicing and getting good. And again, this is where I show my age. I don't know any of the goddamn video games he's played. I've never seen them before. So I know they're past my time here. They have a double dragon there, and they also have, um, I forget which games they're 
as well of I'm pretty sure they're very obscure, which is why like I'm usually like a, a total nerd when it comes to arcade games. I'm like, hmm, I remember that one. Oh, I remember that one. But the thing about it is, though, is like there's this one game they play that's not from Nintendo. It looks like a game from Outrun. Have you heard of Outrun from Sega? I have not. That must have been a little after your time. It was like 86 or something. He was playing Hop Outrun, and it's like, Outrun isn't even the contest. It's not even a Nintendo game. It was from Sega. Yeah, speaking of mixed universes here, this is a great scene where, where Jimmy's been playing video games all day, and Haley comes and gives us the update that Jimmy's mastered 72 out of the 97 games. He knows 72 out of the 97 games. And I'm thinking here, again, I, I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed here, but... If there's 97 Nintendo games, and he's playing arcade games, aren't those different than the Nintendo games? And then I'm thinking, what the fuck tournament is this in L.A.? Which games are they playing, arcade or Nintendo? Because those were different things. Those weren't the same games, correct? Yeah, it is kind of weird, though. Like I said, the continuity is fucked up in this film. It's like um, I've been seeing him playing like arcade games, and he supposedly played 72 of the 97 games, but all I saw from those were like, like what, 9 or 10, even in the montage. Yeah, again, the more you pay attention to this movie, I know this is rich coming from a guy who just saw it for the first time today, but I'm even I'm just catching little stuff like, but he's not practicing the games that are going to be in the tournament. What? I don't get what's going on here. So anyway, the long story short, I'll kind of whip through this because we're almost up on an hour here, where Putnam, the, the child retrieval specialist, ends up getting Jimmy and he kidnaps him and then Haley has a bunch of her trucker friends drive and cut him off and basically they uh, rescue Jimmy and the Jimmy gets back and so yay we made it we're all here and they and uh, their buddy Spanky ends up giving them a ride to Los Angeles and here we go the last 20 minutes of the movie the famous video game tournament which as I said earlier in the podcast is the stupidest tournament I have ever seen the most underwhelming tournament but I guess it, it, it looks majestic when you're five and you see this movie, but as an adult, I'm like, wait, this isn't even like like a big deal. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, though, it looks like um, it's it's like one of those things. Like when you're a kid, it looks majestic. When you're adult, it's like, yeah, you have a guy that acts totally insane that shouldn't be <laughs> hosting anything with kids or something like that. You should get a guy that knows what the hell he's doing rather than just going, get your stations, get your stations. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, I'm going to explain the scene to people so it'll make sense if you've never seen it before. They get to Los Angeles, and the tournament is held at Universal Studios. And apparently they're able to walk right into Universal Studios without buying a ticket, which I don't think is going to happen. I don't think they have a lot of money. They've She spent that $450 on the phone bill to the Nintendo, Nintendo hotline. So somehow they get into universal by themselves and then they walk up to the registration at this huge video game tournament and they say can we register on the spot even though i don't they don't appear to pay a fee to enter the, the tournament they can just walk in apparently well in this universe anything's possible <laughs> yes so they just on the spot are able to enter this video game tournament which is apparently the biggest thing in the world and they get inside and uh we get inside and we there's you see all these competitors. It looks very majestic, this big video game tournament and all these people playing these Nintendo machines. Again, to clarify, these aren't arcade games they're playing. These are Nintendo games, which were different things at the time. These weren't the same thing. Very different things. As a matter of fact, the arcade games look more like Sega Genesis games at that point. Yeah, exactly. That's That's a perfect comparison. And so they see their old arch rival, Lucas, who apparently flew down here in his private jet. I don't know how he got here, but Lucas is here. He must have really wealthy parents then. Well, we never see his parents. I don't think he has parents. I think he's he's independently wealthy. 
I guess so. He probably has his like uh, butler with him saying, hey, Alfred, give me to L.A. <laughs> he does not have his power glove, though, so I'm kind of sad we don't see that because for those of you who don't remember, he loves the power glove. It's so bad. So uh, we see this tournament and we see Lucas in there and Lucas is taunting poor little autistic Jimmy like, oh, the wizard's here. Look at this little spaz, this little nobody. I'm going to beat him. And and so they all compete in the first round of this tournament. And this is like like the critics said, this is really just a big uh, commercial for Nintendo, this whole movie. What happens is you just get these slow lingering shots of the camera over these Nintendo gaming units as the players are playing, like almost in a sexual way. You'd expect, like, softcore porn music to be playing in the background as we show the contours of this sexy new Nintendo machine. And I'm like, this is weird. At the end of round one, they play a game, what is it, uh, Ninja Gaiden or something like that? Are you familiar with that? Is that a real game? Yeah, it's a real game, Ninja Gaiden. It's one of the hardest games you can ever play on the NES, and yes, I love that game, too. Oh, so if it's hard, then maybe Jimmy could kick your ass on this one. Uh, he will, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't get past level three. <laughs> okay, so we play the first round of this tournament, and like, like, like hundreds of kids are there, and they play this Ninja Gate Gaiden or whatever. And then apparently the tournament is two rounds that the top three people from that round advance to the championship. I'm like, wait, wasn't this supposed to be a bigger deal? Like only three kids? Maybe that's why it was free, and they were letting anybody who could walk in just to register because it's literally only a two-round tournament. Yeah, it's just a two-round tournament, and, like, anybody from any age range from, what, 5 to 12 can get in. And the other 500 kids that flew across the country to show up, sorry, your time here is done 10 minutes into the tournament. <laughs> Thanks for coming, though. Thanks for, like, uh, wasting your other travel money for, like, uh, to come for nothing. <laughs> Well, okay, because it's, this is the wizard universe, these parents, these kids weren't coming accompanied by parents. The kids were all coming here on their own. Like 500 kids hitchhiked across the country or flew their own private jets or just had a magic fucking catapult that flung them eight states away and they landed in a magic field of unicorns and clouds. I don't know how they got here. <laughs> I could picture that. Or they must have had, like, uh, they must have had Star Trek te technology that can just teleport their way from their home to L.A. <laughs> Yes, this, this is a science fiction movie. They they beamed down to Los Angeles. Okay, so here's the championship game. It's uh, Lucas and Jimmy and some girl. I didn't even catch her name. Um, so the three of them, and before they can compete for this big video game championship, all of a sudden Putnam, the bad guy, shows up and he starts chasing them. And we get this long extended sequence here of Putnam chasing the kids through like the Universal Studios tour on the tram. <laughs> like what? The one of the more gratuitous scenes I've ever seen. I'm assuming this was a Universal movie, and so there's literally a 10 minute shot of a commercial. It's basically a commercial showing off their amazing Universal Studios tour. So you see King Kong. You see like the backdraft exhibit. It's just a, a big long chase in a commercial. But eventually, they eventually they escape Putnam. They get to the video game championships, and this is where the announcer of the contest, like you said, the creepy, overly enthusiastic guy, says. You three children will be playing a video game that nobody has ever seen before. A brand new game. Jason, what game would that be? It will be the one of the best-selling video games of all time still to this day. Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah, although I will say, in, in my defense, my name is Mario Lanza, and the way the announcer says it is Super Mario Brothers 3, and he can just fuck right off with that, to be honest. <laughs> I have to 
same like uh, feeling you have, but instead of Mario, it's Jason. You know, with uh, Friday the Thirteenth, every time I never say hey, my name is Jason, some idiot would go. <laughs> well, I was I was talking more about the pronunciation where they call me Mario, which is the pronunciation. Like, I think it would be very difficult to mispronounce Jason. Like, do you have a lot of people saying Jason or Jason? Tommy <laughs> <Probably> Wiseau. <so. laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> to go back to the the room. Yes. Tommy Wiseau directing this movie. So so here's the big championship. It's Video Armageddon and they're playing Super Mario Brothers 3 and again, I think this was I this movie was designed to be a commercial for literally this video game which I think it was introduced here. It was the first time anybody had ever seen it, and that's why this movie is so beloved among kids of a certain age because they grew up with these Nintendo games. They grew up with that game in particular, and this movie is the celebration of Super Mario Brothers 3. So, again, this movie was not designed for me, but I can fully appreciate it, it was a big deal to people who what it was designed for. Yes, it was. And the reason why why for that, though, is because Super Mario Brothers 3, even to this day, is considered one of the greatest video games like of all time. A lot of people still have fond memories of that game. Yeah, and, and we get a big, long five-minute segment of just the kids playing the video games. It's Lucas against Jimmy playing Super Mario Brothers 3. And it's one of these things that Roger Ebert pointed out in his review in 89. Like, I have no idea what the hell's happening. It's just video game scenes, and we're supposed to know what's going on and how this game works. So if you know Super Mario Brothers, I'm sure this is very exciting. I'm just watching because I've never really played that game uh, for several reasons, especially because it was my life was ruined because of that stupid game. Oh, because the name is Mario? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I had to live with being named after the most famous video game character ever in the 80s. It was it was not fun, Jason. I know, right? It's kind of, like I said, it has its perks, has its cons, just like my cons is I was, I was named after one of, the, one of the most top slasher villains of all time, which is Jason Voorhees. And you can, you're probably allowed to kill at least two, three people at summer camp before they get mad, right? Because it's like a tribute at first. Oh, yeah, exactly. I got my machete with me just in case. So anyway, Jimmy wins the tournament. He does something. Again, I have no idea what the hell happens. He jumps up and hits some block, and he wins the tournament. And yay, Jimmy has won the tournament, and his parents were there, and they were watching, and everyone is all excited that Jimmy defeated Super Mario Brothers, and he defeated Lucas. And we don't see it, but I think Lucas then puts a shotgun in his mouth and blows his head off. Is that right? No, but I'm pretty sure, like, uh... Lucas, on the other hand, is like, uh, it's kind of like the same story you told about, like, uh, Clipper Lang when he lost to Rocky Balboa. He wanted to become a TV icon. Yeah, so Lucas gets his just desserts, and he goes home to his independent wealth and his giant mansion and his power glove and playmate of the year, Victoria Silvstedt, and he has a wonderful life. So basically nothing happens to Lucas, but Jimmy wins, and it's very exciting, and now... We get the uh, wrap-up to this movie. We finally find out why he has been coming out to California, why he always wanted to come out here, which is odd because it kind of undercuts the end of the movie. We're supposed to see him as a champion as he had his big happy moment, but apparently Jimmy doesn't give a shit. He was only here for... He wanted to dump some stuff into some dinosaurs. Uh, the reason why, though, is because you know that film location, right? You know Wee's Big Adventure? That's where it's actually... Oh, yes. ...where all the dinosaurs are at. I was like, that's how I was going to make my Wee joke. On that one, I was like, "That's where uh, Pee Wee and Simone were like." Uh, well, I'm gonna say they they probably did make out, but I'm just saying they didn't show it on Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But I'm pretty sure they did. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you said it was a when you said it was a Pee Wee Herman joke, I cringed. I'm like, this isn't gonna be a masturbation joke, right? Oh no, it's more like Pee Wee trying to make out with uh, some tall tall chick named Simone 
joke thing when, when Andy gets all pissed off. <laughs> all right. Nobody gets arrested for that one. Nope. Nobody. All right. Well, but I will say you didn't have to explain the uh, location to me. I know that the, the, at the end of the movie, they drive out, they're driving back to Utah and they go through Cabazon, which is out by Palm Springs, a very famous tourist location. Not that far from my house. I've been to Cabazon many times and that is the filming location where Pee Wee Big Adventure Pee-wee's Big Adventure, where they had the dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs really are out there. They're just kind of behind a little uh, mini-mart and truck stop, and you can still go there. They don't let you go in the dinosaurs, at least up into the mouth anymore, but they've been there for many years, and it's a very famous filming location. Although, you probably don't know this, Jason. <laughs> uh, a couple years ago, that that was a, a fun tourist location to go to, but a couple years ago, it was bought out by like this super... Uh, how can I describe the people that own that place now? Super fire and brimstone Old Testament people. And so like all the dinosaurs there are covered with like biblical scripture and stuff like if you're gay, you're going to hell. If you have an abortion, you're going to hell. Like science is just a myth. There's no science. There's only Jesus. So if you go to Cabazon, it's all like run by the fire and brimstone crowd now, which is it's kind of amusing that the, of all of all places, they would own a dinosaur place. I've seen those people. They're from downtown Seattle. They're the ones that have their makeup phone going. If you don't believe in God, you're going to hell. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> so that's Cabazon. That's basically, what, if in real life, if you stop at Cabazon, you're going to get handed some literature, and you will be basically be you're going to hell. Basically, that's that's what it's how it's summed up. <laughs> so anyway, to to make a long story short, they stop in Cabazon, and all this time. This is the place that little Jimmy has been trying to walk to. Uh, he's always been trying to come out here because when his sister died, he still has not recovered from that. And he has this picture of the family when they were a couple years younger. They had stopped here in Cabazon and got a picture of their, the sister on the dinosaur's foot. And so he just wanted to come here. This is how he's making peace with the death of his sister. He's coming here. He's dropping off her little suitcase of all her possessions because this is the place she would have been happy. And now it's... It's believed, I mean, they don't flat spell it out, but they almost feel like, oh, he's cured of autism, he's going to be fine now, which I don't think that's how it works, right? Not even in the wizard world, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not even in this universe, but that's how the movie ends, that he's dropped off his sister's possessions here at Cabazon, which apparently they're going to be thrown away by the janitor in three minutes, but we will skip over that part, but... He's dropped them off. He's happy. The family's happy. They've all gotten back together, and Fred Savage is there, and Christian Slater's there, and they all drive back to Utah, and they live happily ever after. And that is The Wizard, a really goofy cult favorite movie from 1989. That's like I said, if you don't take the movie too seriously, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's again, it is fun. I, I had fun watching it, and that's one of the things on Staff Picks that I will recommend this movie to people, but in no way will I say this is like a masterpiece. Like when I. Oh, hell no. Yeah, when I do a podcast like uh, Arlington Road or something, I'm like, you got to see this. This will change your life. The Wizard's not going to change your life, but it's a weird little time period, time capsule movie from a, a very odd, awkward time in movies and where this new video game system was just coming out and it was the hottest thing in the world and this whole movie's a commercial for it. And it's again, it's this movie means a lot to a lot of people of a certain age. It, it might not be your age, it might not be my age, but it, I fully respect that this is a big deal like to movie to someone like you, Jason. Oh yes, it is. And plus, like I'm 35 now, but back when I was like six or seven years old, that was a big deal for me. Yeah, and it still is. I can tell just by the way you talk about it. You, you, I, I can sense you even bristling a little bit when I start making fun of how goofy it is because deep down I know you really like this movie. So I, I, I apologize if I've taken digs at it. 
Oh no, that's okay. It's easy to take digs at though, because I'm kind of I'm kind of used to it though. I kind of like like I said, there are movies that I like like certain type of movies. So I'm more into documentaries, horror, comedy, and like uh, all kinds of films. I even go for like the B films. No one really checks out, but like um, yeah, it, it, if you want to take digs at movies, that's fine. Like um, I I take digs at other people's movies too, and they don't mind either. Yeah, again, it's just one of those movies that I know is very important to people, and I, I actually expect a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast because I have a lot of younger listeners who may know this movie. So I just want to say I'm I'm throwing you guys a bone. I'm throwing some movies out there that I might not even be all that familiar with, but I know, again, it's not always about my opinion on staff picks. I, sometimes I bring on guests, and they feel really strongly about a movie or they have something that ties in with their lives. So, again, I just want to encourage people if you uh, have – movies like this that you really feel strongly about and just want to come on and talk about, drop me a line at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com and maybe we can work something up. All right, Jason, before we sign off, anything else you want to uh, mention, talk about, any other Fred Savage stories you have, uh, any any video game records you're going to be setting in the future? What do you got before we, we take off here? Well, I got a few things. One, like um, about... I don't know if it's tomorrow or like the next day, but like when I'm going to another castle, I'm thinking about breaking that Battletoads records. If I did, it'll be my eighth, like a uh, top world record for the highest score in like uh, Battletoads. Mm-hmm. It hurts like one of the harder games you can play. And that's why I'm going to have like a lot of quarters with me. Okay. <laughs> and for the second thing though, like, um, like, uh, like I said, you know how people like, uh, you know how much we love documentaries, right? Like, uh, like King of Kong, Mm-hmm. You know, even mm-hmm. An- even Anvil had its own documentary. Like even their like everybody and their mom had their documentary. It's just I like to have my own documentary someday about like uh, how I broke the records, how I overcame like all kinds of disabilities to get where I am right now. Mm-hmm. So if Fred mm-hmm. Savage, if you happen to be listening to our podcast, I heard you're like a, a director of some sort. Maybe you can make a a documentary on the real wizard. <laughs> so you're the real wizard. That's what you're going as now. Yeah, the real wizard. Okay. Kind of like, you know, remember the whole Ghostbusters thing with from 1986 where it's like Filmation's Ghostbusters versus the real Ghostbusters, which is based on the 84 movie? I could be the real wizard. <laughs> so will you have a monkey sidekick, or is that the other wizard? Um, That's the other wizard. I'm more of like the – I got this big, like, a booger green slime named Slimer with me. <laughs> Well, I am again just to call back to Little Big League. A Bill Haywood must be allowed to have a pet sidekick monkey. So there you go. Oh, exactly. Okay, again, I just want to thank you for stopping by, Jason, and I want to thank all my listeners. Again, you can reach me, staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter, at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out there searching for more underrated, underloved, or just unknown movies, and I will try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Until next time. I love the power glove. It's so bad. Bye. And that's when I realized I'd sunk as low as a person in eighth grade algebra could sink.